What are you aware of most? Your past, your present, or your future? We are creatures who can remember things that have happened to us. We are, for the most part, aware of what's going on at the moment. Some of you more or less. And we can anticipate the future and consider that as well. So all three options are available to us. I would imagine that most people here think the least about the future. Really, the only times when we do think about the future is when we're doing recycling, because we think, well, this is supposed to help what's going to happen later. Uh, if you're a parent and you're thinking about uh, your children, uh, or, or once again, it's kind of come back into vogue to wonder uh, if there's going to be some kind of nuclear war happening at some point in the future. And that kind of makes you think about that a bit as well. But for the most part, we're pretty much here and now people. It's the present. We're so busy with our to-do lists. It's like, well, if I can think about all the things I've got to think about today and get those all done, that will count as a result. So please don't ask me to think about really anything else. Or maybe there's something going on in your life right now that feels so big, so important, so all-encompassing that the thought of thinking about uh, the past or considering the future just seems ridiculous. You're like, no, but my capacity is all about what's happening right now. But for some people, it is the past that dominates them. Something that happens to you, uh, or maybe a decision that you made, uh, rightly or wrongly, although it tends to be that we remember the negative things, has affected you so profoundly, it's hard not to think about it all the time. You see your whole life in relation to that past event. And so even though you might think you're all about the present, actually it's the, the past that's defining you. Wouldn't it be good if your past could be left behind? And wouldn't it be great if the present wasn't the final word about you? Christians are unique in all the world because they are defined by their future. Of course, we all have a past and we're meant to give attention to what's happening today. But we are a people of hope. We are heading somewhere and we are meant to be highly aware of that. Jesus offers this hope to anyone through his church. And that's why Paul lists hope as one of the ways that a united church can bless a divided world in Ephesians 4 verses 4 to 6, which is the passage that we're focusing our current preaching series on. So let's uh, read it, remind ourselves of it. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we are focusing today on that word hope that's in that passage, which means I immediately need to give you a definition of that. Because when I say hope, you probably think wishful thinking. That's, that tends to be uh, what most people imagine hope to mean. So they would say, I hope we're going to have a summer that's really hot and sunny for three months solid. That's what people think we mean when we say hope, don't we? Whereas Christian hope is much more like, well, I hope the sun rises every day. It's a whole different nature. It's not because I've downgraded what I'm hoping for and lowered my expectations. It's, it's a difference between a kind of a wishful thinking and a certainty. 
I went to see uh, Hearts play Hibs uh, this week in the last Edinburgh derby of the season. And I was hoping that Hearts would win because they're my local team. But I was also well aware that the other outcomes were more likely. <laughs> and again, that's what most people mean by hope. They're like, there are lots of things that could happen. And my one has no greater or lesser chance than any of the other things. So, oh well. But as it happened, they did win. Now, if I'd been watching the highlights of the game later on, knowing the result, I would have been watching that with something much more like Christian hope. I would have been watching the game, seeing the ebbs and flows, seeing the ups and downs, seeing Hibs get their equaliser, seeing them having dominating periods of play. But I would not be worried about the result because I already knew what was going to happen. I'd be watching it in hope of a heart's victory. With certainty. This is kind of starting to get us in the right way of thinking about hope, I hope. Um, and we're not quite sure which of those two hopes it is. But I'm going to try another illustration to explain things. We're going to talk about the rope of hope, which um, isn't in the Bible, <laughs> in case you're wondering. But here's how I see it. So I want you to imagine that the stage that we've got here is like the span of our life. So over here is when your life starts. And you go through your life for however long it's going to be, and then eventually it's going to end over here. And so this is time as you know it. And then I want you to imagine the balcony up there as eternity before, well, before you, uh, but also before the world began. And I'd like you to imagine this balcony up here as eternity to come. Here's something that Paul says about what happens to every Christian a bit earlier in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 2, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So, The Christian hope is that in the ages to come, God is going to show us the immeasurable riches of his kindness in Christ Jesus. That is what's coming if you're a Christian. If you put your trust in Jesus, that is what is on its way. In Colossians 1 verse 5, Paul puts it more briefly as the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's where it is right now. That's where it's located. Now we can summarise that hope in three parts. We can talk about the new creation, our new bodies and being with Jesus. The world as we know it is going to be gloriously transformed when the song that we sung repeatedly this morning comes to pass fully. Heaven comes to earth. That isn't wishful thinking That is an event in the future that is going to happen. God is going to bring the fullness of his rule and his reign and his goodness to the earth. He is going to renew the whole thing according to his original intention for it to be very good. And it will be. And it will be forever. Plenty of beauty in the planet, on the planet at the moment. But it is only a messed up glimpse of how things should be. What will be when heaven comes to earth is paradise restored. 
There will be no scarcity, no frustration, no corruption, no need to be wary, no death, only brilliant possibility and realized potential. It will be all there for us to enjoy and explore. Whatever it is that you enjoy on the earth right now, so long as it's good, it will be there times heaven. By a factor of heaven, it will be increased in its goodness and its glory and its beauty. The Bible also promises that on this glorious new created earth, there will be people who have new bodies. Every follower of Jesus is going to get a new body. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes the difference between our present body and the body that we're to get as the difference between a tiny sunflower seed and the massive flowering plant that it can become. Paul says that transformation will happen in an instant. Our foolishness and our weaknesses will be gone. You won't do things you regret. And you will be able to do far more than you've ever been able to do in this life with this body as it currently is. Every physical sensation that we currently experience that's good is like a drop of water on our tongue compared with the never-ending stream of living water which God is going to be pouring out onto us and into us and through us in these new bodies. Our love for others will be total. We'll be existing in a perfect new community in which we will have new levels of ability to serve each other and work for the glory of God. And that is the climax of it all. That's the third part of this. The new creation will astonish us. Our new bodies will thrill us. But they are just the backdrop to the main event, which is Jesus himself in all his glory Before us, we will see him, the Bible says, face to face. We will be able to touch those precious scars on his hands and his feet that testify to how he got us there. We will see the full extent of his excellency. We will comprehend the majesty of his holiness. We will experience the unending love of God radiating from him to us. We won't doubt it or him anymore because we will see it more really. You'll be more aware of him than you are aware now of the person next to you. Praising him will be the thing that we most want to do, even with every other brilliant thing available and on offer to us. Our praise is only ever limited by our expectation and our understanding of him at the moment. That's why when sometimes people think, oh, I'm just going to be singing to God a lot. I don't know how I feel about that. It's like you haven't seen him enough to know. This is every Christian's future And God sets it before us now for us to take hold of it as our only hope. So John, would you would you send this rope of hope down to me? Yes, thank you so much. So here it is. Here's the hope which is secured in heaven. Now, obviously, the slight risk with this as an illustration is it's currently been secured by me. And I'm not convinced in my knot tying skills, but there it is. I think Johan's going to help. If it starts to slip, Johan, you need to grab it and hold on to it for me, yeah? Because the illustration needs it to hold. But this is where the Christian hope is. 
It's over there. It's there, but it has been sent to us now. Now, how can we be so confident that this is the case? I've just described a lot of what some people might describe as wishful thinking. Like, that sounds lovely. No wonder you want that to be the case. Well, I would say you were designed to want that to be the case, and that's why we all love it. But anyway, something has already happened which guarantees that this future is going to come to pass. 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Here it is. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So over here, way before time began. Let's see if this goes up, John. Yes. Be totally relaxed from now on, basically. (laughs) Way before any of us here were born. But in human history, a series of events occurred which you can explore for yourself, which you can read of the eyewitnesses' accounts of them and choose to believe in them. Jesus, God himself, came to earth. He lived among us as one of us. He died in our place. That wasn't the end of his story because he rose again to new life and then ascended back to heaven in victory. Those things have happened. And Peter says, that's where our hope begins. Over there, it has happened. Over there, it's going to be fulfilled. Holding on to this hope is faith. That is what this action is. This is when we say, I believe that this is, gonna, this is the case. This is the truth. This is what I'm putting all my trust in. That is faith. To hold on in faith and look forward with certainty to what is going to come, which I've just described briefly to you, that is Christian hope. That's what it looks like. I am absolutely certain of this thing which is to come. It's rooted in what has happened And I'm very excited about it. That is Christian hope. Now the subtitle of this series is How a United Church Can Bless a Divided World. So how does this hope do that? Well, let's look at the two parts. United Church and then blessing the world. How does this hope make the church one? Well, because this is the only hope we have. This is the only hope there is. And if you're a Christian here, if you're part of this church, the only thing you are hanging on to is this. We're all hanging on to this same rope. I'm not going to get you all up to hold on at the same time. I just don't think it works in illustration. But there's nothing else that we're hoping in. I don't know what you're excited about. I don't know what you're thinking about. I don't know what you enjoy coming to church for or enjoy God for. But this is your only hope. And that being the case, you share it with everyone else here. We have come from different nations and different cultures and different backgrounds. We have different personalities and preferences. We have different giftings and callings. That is all part of God's glorious design that his son might be shown to be the only answer to the whole world when all these different kinds of people all gather together and all hold on to this one thing and say, we are united in this hope alone. Understanding the nature of this shared hope should change us. It should radically affect our thinking. 
See, self-centeredness has no place when we are defined by a hope that is going to be so utterly God-centered as eternity to come is. To be greedy, to grasp for power or position, to, to attempt to accumulate loads of stuff in this life is stupid. When you're meant to be holding on to this hope alone. You can forgive others because part of that future hope is that justice is going to be done in every way to every one. And either through the death of Jesus or through the judgment of God, every wrong deed will be dealt with. So you don't need to go on holding on to that. Distress at your past or dissatisfaction with your present, which are the things that aggravate so many of our sins against one another, these things are overwhelmed by a joyful certainty of a wonderful future. They are put in the balance and shown to not be as much. It's easy to say that, it's harder to work it out, but it's true. And a united church is a prophetic statement of the hope that we have, and it gives the world a picture of the only hope that there is. This isn't one rope of many. It's the only one that lasts forever. The opposite of hope is despair, and we live in a world that is full of that. Most people are trying to keep their lives busy with something or other so that they don't have a moment to stop and think about how meaningless everything is if death is the end. Billions of pounds are spent on entertainment, on distraction, on amusement. Amusement from the uh, Latin or Greek, I don't remember which anyway, Muse means to think and A means not to. Amusement. Yes, that's what I need because if I think about my life, if I think about how pointless it is, if I just randomly arrived and then I'm just going to stop, why on earth would I do anything? I, I, can't, I can't think that way. Most people can't live that way. Ah, but something's on the telly. So that, I can, I'll focus on that. All sorts of short-term attempts at happiness. I can hope from here to here, maybe. Maybe, you know, if I'm, I'm really going for it, I hope from here to there. By telling others about Jesus, our hope, and demonstrating what holding on to him in hope looks like, the world will see that what is on offer here, what is on offer in Jesus, is different from anything else. It is better than anything else. It's the only hope there really is. So, how do we live a life of hope? How do we demonstrate this? Well, living a life of Christian hope isn't about adding a bit of cheerfulness to your current perspective. is isn't for those of you who are optimistic to be like, oh, and also this. is isn't for those of you who are more pessimistic to be like, well, I suppose that. It's, it's, it's not that. It's not those things. 1 Peter 1, 13 says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word fully is important. Peter's saying, don't add this to your portfolio of hopes. 
Don't let this be one of the things that you, if you were to describe what you're looking forward to, this would be there or thereabouts or possibly even up there. No, Peter says, set your hope fully on this. Other things will tempt you to put their hope in them, but you want to hold on to this rope and nothing else. Another verse to explain what this looks like is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul is saying is that Christian lives should only make sense from an eternal perspective. Only by knowing that you believe in an everlasting joy to come with God Will someone who isn't a Christian be able to understand you and the decisions you make? That's what what these verses mean. Your, Your life should be inexplicable to people unless they know that you believe in an eternity to come that you're going to be with God in enjoy. Paul says that normal Christianity, not just the really keen people like Paul, Paul says that for normal Christians... This life should look pitiable, not enviable at all, if they're doing it right. I think for many of us here, our lives are almost indistinguishable from those who have no hope beyond the grave. From those who are all in for this life only. We're doing the same things doing them in the same way, we're doing them for the same reasons. We are hoping in the same short-term, unsatisfactory things as they are. People who aren't believers don't know any better. But we do. And our failure to live differently means they won't ever know from us how hopeless their way of life is because they see us doing the same things, except for maybe on a Sunday morning or evening. So here are four things that Christians can do to set their hope fully on Jesus. The first is to contemplate this hope. You can't see it right now. This, you, 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 it's, it's not before your eyes. But you can think about it. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Whatever's true, whatever's honourable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. Let me tell you, nothing fulfills that criteria like eternity to come. You're like, what is like that? What is going to be like that? I'm looking around, there's bits and bobs here and there. That eternity to come is all of that and more. So think about it. It's one of the reasons I just keep bringing it into preachers. I want to help you to have it in your mind as an option to think about. You get lots of things flash up on your phone saying, look at this, think about this, know this. This is what you need to think about. This is what you need to be reminded of on a regular basis. You can find things now that are like connection points to help you see. They're like, I don't know, like springboards to seeing the hope. 
And, and what they are will be different for different people. An excellent meal is a glimpse of the hope that we are to have when we're going to feast with God in glory. Someone smiling um, is uh, just a glimpse of the joy that we're going to have together and the smile of Jesus that we are going to see when we come before him. The singing of a bird or the blooming of a flower, um, something working well. When machinery works well, that's what the king is. It works when God is around, when God is at work. And eternity is going to work. A story with a happy ending. A harmonious chord, the briefest moment of blessing or or just bliss. These things don't exist just in and of themselves. They are meant to turn our attention to God and to our eternity to come. We're meant to say, this is wonderful. It's going to be even better. Find Christian songs about heaven. Read good Christian books that will teach you about our hope. Not the ones about I died and this kind of nearly happened then I came back. Don't bother with those. Read about what's actually going to happen. And help others to do this. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul teaches a bunch of this stuff to the church. And he concludes, And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. These words of this hope that we've been thinking about, reading about, seeing, singing about. I know that many small groups, as their icebreaker each week, will say, hey, what good things or less good things have happened this week? And that's a great way to get chat going, and I don't dismiss it at all. Sometimes it's good to say what good things are certain are going to happen forever. What good things have you been reminded of this week that are on their way, that are coming It will feel a bit unnatural at first because we tend to think about here and now. Or if you're getting really deep, we'll talk about the past. Christians need to talk about the future a lot more. So we need to contemplate this great hope that we have. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul describes the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. It's the down payment. That's what that word means. Paul's like, this is the first block of money of all the money that is to come. So, you know, you're buying property or something that costs a lot of money. uh, You have to give a deposit. You're saying, I'm giving you this as a promise that more is to come. That's who the Holy Spirit is. This wonderful, glorious eternity of being with Jesus is anticipated. We get a taste of it, a down payment of it by the Holy Spirit coming and filling our lives right now. And he changes us to make us more hopeful. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we worship, as we're filled with the Spirit, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He comes to us, works in us, changes us. What we are to become and experience starts now. And this means that the things of this life should become less and less appealing to us. Quite often if you speak to someone who's, who's used to have a, like a, a bad diet uh, and eat loads of unhealthy food and junk food and stuff like that, which they used to think they really liked, and then they go on to a different diet and they, they start eating healthy, wholesome food, not like, you know, 
the diet where you like eat dust for a month or something like that. But actually, you know, just simply good food. And they eat that, and, and they eat that for a while. They get a taste for that that then makes you that then makes the offer of going back to the fast food diet. They just think, well, no, because this tastes better. You should experience a changing in your tastes as you mature as a Christian. Things I look back on, I think, how on earth did I ever do that, like that, enjoy that? Well, I just wasn't very aware of the hope that was to come. I hadn't been changed very much by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't at work in me, preparing me so that when I come and see him in glory, I'm like, this is all I have been waiting for. And this is all that I want. The Holy Spirit does that. And it just is then odd because other people will be excited about things and you won't be. And sometimes those things will be things that you used to be excited about. And you're like, yeah, it would be good if that happened. It'd be fine. But I can cope either way because my hope is now in this. And it just means that this other thing is like, I mean, don't say it like this. But Thirdly, um, suffer. C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone to a sleeping world. Suffering makes us realize what can be trusted and what can't be. Christians around the world who are persecuted for their faith understand this uh, better than most of us here do. They've had the sorts of things that we trust in and hope for taken away from them. They've had their possessions confiscated. They've been thrown out of their schools and their workplaces. They've been imprisoned and separated from their loved ones. And because of this, they have learned to hope only in Jesus. They say, well, they're just like, well, I don't have anything else to hope in. And suffering does that. And actually, there's a grace in that, if we'll see it. It's not just persecution, of course, that causes loss. Everything in life is fragile. And anything that we put our feet on may fall away. And that's why we're to hold on to this. We still walk through this life, yeah, of course, and who knows what will come, and sometimes it'll be really great, but it could all fall away. And suffering shows us that when that happens, yet this remains. Uh, we show this to the world um, by not saying, I'm fine, when awful things are happening. But 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. A Christian suffering is different from someone who isn't a Christian suffering because they know it will end. And not just that it will end, but that it will end well. And So even when it's phenomenally hard, and agonizing, and we don't deny any of those things. We say, but this is not the end. And this kind of links back to the contemplation point, because sometimes our contemplation of eternity has to work by contrast. Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. So when you weep now, know that one day that will come to an end. The darkness will be flooded with light. Justice will be done. Suffering also helps us to understand the weight of glory that is to come. 2 Corinthians 4. We don't lose heart. He's just described a load of things that would make you lose heart 
if your hope was in this life only. He says, we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Again, you just imagine, as, as our outer selves, that's this body, wastes away, will you lose heart or not? Paul says we don't. Because our inner self is being, being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. However heavy it feels right now, however massive what it is that you're going through or that you did go through and that continues to be with you feels like, it is dust in the scales compared with what your future will be like in Jesus. Paul says, do the maths, however big this feels, that is going to make it feel like a feather in comparison to the weight of glory to be revealed in Christ Jesus. Fourth and final thing, invest. Invest in that hope. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See again, Jesus is doing that thing. He's saying your heart will be changed by doing this. Don't wait until you've got a completely new hopeful perspective before you start doing things that can only be explained by having a hopeful perspective. If you start doing them, your heart will change. Your perspective will change. That's one of those things that increases as it goes on. You get a glimpse of eternity to come. And so you make good decisions. You make investment decisions based on that. And then that gets you more excited about eternity to come. And so you want to give more of your investment to that. And on and on and on, and on it goes. And at the moment you might think, oh, that, that never happens for me. Well, start and watch. It's remarkable how Jesus motivates us here, isn't it? Because he's saying he's got a much better investment opportunity than any you're involved with here. And Christians are like, oh no, surely you should just say because it would be the right thing to do. Jesus says, no, no. He's like, you can put your money in one of two places. In one of the places you'll lose it. In one of the places you'll never lose it. And multiplied by a factor you can never imagine. So it's really up to you. As the saying goes, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. This is what Jesus is encouraging us to think about here. He's saying to give our time and our talents and our treasure to God's kingdom. And when we do this, we will receive far more back in the life to come than you ever gave him. It should, I mean, just practically, this means, it means playing your part in serving in the church. We heard again this morning that the advance, the kingdom of God comes through his church. And so we're to play our part in that. It also means loving those around us, caring for them, helping them, advocating for them. These things should be costly. You won't be able to do other things now because you're choosing to do these things instead. Quite often, I think we're trying to have a good you know, balance of our life and do all the things and not go too overboard. In those things. It's good to do some things, but also these things too. And I just don't think Jesus says that. If 
Because if your hope's in something far greater, it's okay if you have less time now. Because you've got eternity. And it's okay if you have less money now. Because you've got eternal riches to come. It's, so it's okay. It's, it's not a like, oh, I've lost this. Oh, no. I'll never get that time back. Well... You volunteer to have less time now because your hope is in getting more later. You volunteer to have less money now because your hope is in getting far greater riches later. When we make radically hopeful choices about the jobs we do, the places we live, our level of involvement with church and people around us, people who drain us, when we make radically hopeful choices with our money and with our children, then the world will see that we have a far greater hope than they are aware of. Often we tell stories, don't we? We're like, let me prove to you how good Jesus is. Let me tell you a story about how he's made my life a bit better right now just don't think that's the hope we're meant to give people because we're meant to be pitiable in this current life we're meant to look you're like I just don't get you like well the way to understand me is that I believe I've got an eternity with God to come okay well I still don't get that but that makes sense of your life it just it just doesn't often look like that does that it it just it looks like we're kind of like we'll keep the finger there but there's a lot of other things I need to do with my money and do with my time and I've got a lot of other things I've got hope for uh, as well and I'm looking forward to doing um, but you know keep hold of that too and no everything everything in this our lives should they just should look totally different because we're putting our hope in Jesus so it's our gift day today that's a coincidence that this Uh, is the topic of the preach today. But maybe God wanted to grab hold of you just before you gave and encourage you to give something that was a bit more hopeful. I don't really mind. I'm confident that we'll get the money. This isn't a kind of like, come on guys, because I don't know what's going to happen. I'm I'm absolutely confident we'll get the money. And I'm confident that God's able to provide everything that he needs. I want you to live with real hope. That's, That's my only motivation in this. We're going to sing a song about hope in a moment, and then we're going to sing another song, and then we're going to take an offering. So you've got a little bit more time just to pray and to think. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's not money. Maybe you're like, no, it's, it makes a difference what we give. I'm unable to do everything because I'm giving money away. My car is different, or my house is different, our holidays are different, our whatever is different because of how we give, because I'm putting all my hope in that. Maybe it's another area of life for you. My question this whole time has been, does your life make sense now to people who don't believe in Jesus? Because it shouldn't. Fix your mind on our future hope. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit again and again. Let him change you and give you that wonderful joy of the anticipation of what you are to experience. Endure suffering knowing that it's not the end. And invest wisely, putting all that you've got in this And nothing else. Show the world the hope that we have. We are hopeful creatures. We are made to look forward. God made us to look forward so that we would put our hope in him alone. So what are you hoping for? Who are you hoping in? Look to Jesus. He is the living hope. He's the only hope there is. 
He will set you free from your past, if that's what you'll need. He will transform your present, either by changing it for the better, or just making you realize it's fine, because that's coming. He offers you eternal hope. Will you take hold of it with both hands? Let's pray. Jesus, our only hope, the only hope there is. Lord, we just want to say that we're sorry for playing around with other hopes. We're sorry for looking no further forward than the next five minutes or the next year. We think we're quite impressive if we make a plan for 30 years and we load so much of our hopes into these things. If only this happens to me, if only this changes, if only this comes to pass, if only I meet that person, if only I get that job, if only I am able to do this, if only I'm able to do that. Lord, none of these things are real hope. We have a sure, steadfast hope. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, reigning in glory, coming back to bring heaven to earth. Oh Lord, we're sorry we've trusted in anything else. Help us to put our hope in you and in you alone. And even right now in this moment with decisions being made and with uh, uh, money being given, oh God, let us be a people who hope in you and nothing and no one else.